It's Thursday, April 11th. I'm Oscar Ramirez in Los Angeles, and this is The Daily Dive. Big day for science as astronomers have captured the first image of a black hole. The photo from the Event Horizon Telescope is our first real look at a black hole from the M87 galaxy. It is 6.5 billion times the mass of our sun and thought to be almost the size of our entire solar system. Miriam Kramer, space reporter at Axios, joins us for this amazing development and what it means for our understanding of space and gravity. Next, archaeologists in the Philippines have turned up the bones and teeth of a distantly related species of human, further expanding the human family tree. John Hawks, paleoanthropologist at the University of Wisconsin-Madison, joins us to talk about this new discovery. Finally, huge news that shook the NBA world and the Lakers organization. Magic Johnson, president of basketball operations for the LA Lakers, resigned in an impromptu press conference. Magic cited not having fun in his current position and not being able to mentor other players as some of the reasons for his departure. Dan Beyer, managing editor of Fox Sports Radio, joins us to break down the surprise announcement. It's news without the noise. Let's dive in. Black holes are the most mysterious objects in the universe. They're cloaked by an event horizon where their gravity prevents even light from escaping. And yet, the matter that falls onto the event horizon is superheated so that before it passes through, it shines very, very brightly. Joining us now is Miriam Kramer, space reporter for Axios. So huge, huge space news. For the first time in history, we now know exactly what a black hole looks like. Specifically, this is the black hole in the center of the M87 galaxy, some 54, 55 million light years away from Earth. Tell us about this uh, big discovery and how happy scientists are to have finally have a picture of this thing. This is a big deal, years in the making. There was a big announcement around the world. I think there were a few different press conferences happening on a couple of different continents, and they all unveiled this really incredible image for scientists that, that just shows that our guesses about what black holes look like and their nature are, are correct, at least as far as we can tell for now. This photo was taken by the Event Horizon Telescope, which is really just a bunch of different telescopes all around the world, and they gathered all their data together to get this image here. So how does that work? These telescopes around the world, I think it was eight of them, looked into the sky at the same time at the same target, and they had atomic clocks to basically line up their observations so that they were all looking at the, the right thing at the right time. And they took these images and collected them at their various telescope sites. And then because the files were actually so large, they had to ship them to a central place where they were then sorted by supercomputer and created this image from that. So the files were so huge that they actually couldn't even be sent over the internet, which to me was pretty mind-blowing. Tell us a little bit more about the black hole because it's huge in mass compared to the size of our sun. The black hole at the heart of M87 is actually 6.5 billion times the mass of the sun, and astronomers estimate that it's about the size of our solar system. So it's this incredibly dense object that's actually pretty small for how dense it is, which is why it can warp space-time the way that it does and basically power the engine of this galaxy that's, I think, about 55 million light-years from Mars. 
And then describe to us like what we're seeing in the picture, because in the picture, it looks like a fiery circle almost with a, a you know, the black hole right in the middle. It's a little blurry. It's obviously, you know, <laughs> so far away. We're not going to get a clear HD picture of it or anything like that. But so just describe to us what people are looking at when they see this picture. So it's kind of a, a complicated way of being able to see a black hole. Basically, what we're seeing is what I like to think of as the shadow of a black hole. The bright circle around the black center is actually the matter and light that's orbiting and being heated by the black hole that's right at the edge of the event horizon, which is basically the point of no return with a black hole. So you have this edge that if you cross over it, you can't get out. Not even light can escape from the black hole at that point. So that circle of light that you see around the center dark is basically just superheated matter and light. What is the big picture of this now? Because we've had evidence of black holes for a long time now. Uh, You can see the way other stars circle around it and the way space interacts with where there is no light, basically, leading to that evidence. And, you know, this goes all the way back to Albert Einstein, who predicted this with his theories of gravity and relativity and whatnot. So what is this going to mean for future space investigations? You have Einstein, who has, his theories on gravity have continued to be proved out. I mean, this is just the latest test that general relativity has passed. But now we're sort of at the edge of general relativity. There are a lot of questions about how gravity works on very small scales. And being able to investigate black holes like this is going to allow us to look at it on this grand scale, but also be able to understand how these objects work on smaller scales. So you have at the center of uh, galaxies, and scientists now think that they probably power and shape the galaxies around them. So by being able to study them using these radio telescopes, we should be able to continue to learn more about even just the basics of how a black hole works, which we still don't totally understand. The Event Horizon Telescope group hopes to have a few more telescopes in place in the next few years. I've read all sorts of stuff and just kind of exciting things and how excited people get when they see news of this. They're saying things like, oh, well, this leads to other stuff. Can we discover wormholes now? And, you know, all this big science fiction, deep space stuff, just because now we're able to kind of finally put our eyes on the shadow of this black hole. This does open up the opportunity for us to get sharper and clearer images of these objects. I'm not really sure about a, a wormhole, right. <laughs> but we can definitely keep looking at these black holes to understand a little bit more about what these extreme objects are doing out in the universe and how they've actually shaped the universe around them. I mean, you hear cosmologists talk about it, and if you're doing a simulation of how the universe formed, which is something that you know big supercomputers can do these days, if you don't include black holes, then our universe doesn't make sense. And you can't actually recreate what we're seeing today without black holes. So they're just a fundamental part of the universe and how even why we're here, to be honest. So any advancement in understanding them is going to help us unlock whatever mysteries there may be (laughs) out there. Miriam Kramer, (laughs) space reporter at Axios. Thank you very much for joining us. Thanks so much for having me. The one thing that's most obvious about these remains is that they're small. They named the species Homo luzonensis after the island Luzon, where they found them. That's the big northern island of the Philippines. And they are small. The toe bones that they found, the fingers and the teeth, all very small compared to living people. Joining us now is John Hawks 
paleoanthropologist at the University of Wisconsin-Madison. We're talking about some uh, interesting new uh, developments. In a cave in the Philippines, scientists have discovered a new branch of the human family tree. There are some fossils that they unearthed in a limestone cavern that they think is part of a previously unknown human species that was roaming around there about 50,000 years ago. Tell us a little bit more about this discovery. These new bones come from a cave called Kalao Cave. It's a place that tourists can go to. And when this team began working there in the early 2000s, they were looking for maybe the earliest evidence of modern people that reached the Philippines. They were imagining that this was sometime maybe 15,000 years ago. As they continued to dig, they found that actually the deposits go much older than that. And in 2007, they found a tiny little foot bone. And that was like, whoa, this is really different. <laughs> it reminded them of bones from another island in the area, Flores, which had been known at that time to have a very small human species, Homo floresiensis. And so they kept working. They found additional bones and, and some teeth. And in this new work, they were able to show that, hey, these are really different, not only from living people, but also from those hominins that lived on Flores. This is actually something new. And that's pretty exciting for us. There were seven teeth, three foot bones, two finger bones, and a fragment of a thigh. So not really too much to go on, but kind of putting the pieces together, it had similarities to other hominins that had been discovered previously and a few differences. Putting it together and they were thinking, you know, this could be another very small hominin, uh, oh, maybe about three feet tall, something like that. The one thing that's most obvious about these remains is that they're small. They named the species Homo luzonensis after the island Luzon, where they found them. So that's the big northern island of the Philippines. And they are small. The toe bones that they found, the fingers and the teeth, all very small compared to living people. That's not quite enough to estimate how big the individuals would have been that we're talking about. I would guess that they would be something like four feet to four and a half feet tall, but that's really a guess. What we notice when we look at the bones and the teeth is that they have a mixture of features, some of which are found in very early human relatives, like Lucy's species, Australopithecus afarensis from Africa, and some features that are more like Homo erectus or a few that are like living people. So they have this mix of characters that makes it very difficult for us to tell from the evidence that there is how they connect to our family tree, but clearly it's something very interesting and an unknown species that had existed on this island more than 50,000 years ago. You were actually part of a team that discovered another new hominin species, Homo naledi, which lived in South Africa about 250,000 years ago. Tell me about that and, and just kind of how exciting one of these types of discoveries are. It is exciting. It's, it's the dream of a scientist to find something new that, that you hadn't predicted would be there. And when we found Naledi back in 2013, as the bones were coming out of the cave, every bone was creating for us a new mystery. It's like we looked at them and we're like, well, this looks sort of like humans or this looks sort of like Australopithecus. And then you'd have things that were like, well, I've never seen one like that before. And with us, it was very fortunate in that cave in South Africa, the Rising Star Cave, we found more than 1,500 pieces of bone, and they represented the whole skeleton of, yeah. of multiple individuals. So we had a lot of data to work with. But it doesn't, in a way, make it easier because it makes it more convincing. It makes it more authoritative. We can say, hey, we've identified something, and when we find a new bone from some other site, we can compare and we're going to know if this is Naledi or not. With this new species, Luzonensis, 
there's much less to go on, and so it's it's less certain, you know, when we find something new, how we evaluate it. But I got to tell you that, you know, we're unearthing in the study of human evolution over the last 10 years, new species that no one predicted would have existed. They lived in many cases when modern people, our direct ancestors, lived in the world. We don't know how they interacted. We don't know if they mixed with each other. We don't know really what the process was that led them to be different. And that means that there's a lot that we don't understand. To figure out really that there's so many parts of the family tree, really, you know, right now we're humans, homo sapiens, we're the only thing like us around. And to kind of realize that there was a lot more variety way back in the day is pretty great. One big message is that people everywhere in the world, all the diversity that we see, you know, differences in skin color and shape and form and, you know, the the things that you recognize in people that live far off in the world, these differences are really tiny compared to the differences between populations that existed only 50,000 years ago. John Hawks, paleoanthropologist at the University of Wisconsin-Madison. Thank you very much for joining us. Absolutely. Thank you. I had more fun on the other side than on this side because now... Tomorrow, I would have to affect somebody's life, livelihood in their life. And I thought about that. I said, that's not fun for me. I think that I had more fun when I was able to be the big brother and ambassador to everybody. Today, I'm going to step down as the president. Joining us now is Dan Beyer, managing editor at Fox Sports Radio, co-host of Fox Sports Sunday. Huge news. It was bombshell news that sent waves throughout the Lakers organization and the NBA as a whole, really. Magic Johnson is announcing that he's stepping down as the Lakers president. And it took everybody by shock. He didn't even tell Jeannie Buss that this was his plan. He did it in speaking to reporters right before their last game. Briefly, tell us why he did this. What was his big reasoning? It did catch everyone by surprise in a big way. And the NBA regular season was scheduled for most teams to wrap up on Wednesday. And the Lakers actually had their last game on Tuesday, one of the few teams that weren't playing on Wednesday night. So this was going to be kind of the swan song. And then we felt that at some point that uh, later in the week, we'll find out more about Luke Walton's future as the head coach of the Lakers. And that was really kind of the question that we were going to have really no question about what was the situation with the front office. But I will say this, there was a report put out there earlier in the week that called Magic Johnson almost an absentee executive. And I think that that resonated some because Magic wasn't necessarily around the team. In fact, perfect example, he was at the Final Four supporting his alma mater this past weekend in Minneapolis. And while you could say, oh, he was there to scout NBA talent, he was there as a, as a Michigan State alum. So a lot of those things over these last couple of days shed to light maybe the real role that Magic had. But now when you're an organization that has been looking for a direction and you felt that it was coming from a guy who had led the team to championships and really was the face of the organization, whether it be when he was playing or even afterwards. I mean, when we still talk about the Lakers, we still talk about magic. This was quite a shock, but I, I, I can tell you this. It's maybe more of a reflection of how bad things were with the Lakers or how dysfunctional they were just by the process that you laid out of Jeannie Buss not knowing Magic Johnson, the, that he spoke with Buss on what would have been Monday, and it seemed like Luke Walton 
Gordon's future likely was decided where they would move on. And, and I'm not sure if Magic wanted to pull the plug or just be the bad guy to do that. But yeah. the Lakers now have a lot of questions with their future, one of which is who's going to be the coach of the team? Is it still going to be Luke Walton or not? And now who's going to make the decisions that Magic Johnson was hired to make? Even in that little press conference that he gave, that Magic Johnson gave, you can almost see the weight come off of him saying, you know, and announcing that he wasn't going to be there. And he he spoke to a lot of that about how he loves Luke, but it seemed like he didn't want to make that decision. He didn't want to be the guy to have to do that. And to a larger point, he wanted more freedom to mentor other guys, he said. You know, he wanted to be more of an ambassador to basketball. He felt restricted being there with the Lakers only, you know, and we know that part of it, he said, you know, he wanted to be have the freedom to tweet even more. You know, if, if a guy does well, he wants to tweet at him and say, hey, good job. He doesn't want to have to be accused of tampering at that point. So there was a lot of restrictions, it seemed like he felt. And now he has this weight lifted off of it. Looking at what Magic did, it just seemed like and listening to what he said, it just seemed like he wanted to be Magic. And he didn't want to be president of basketball operations, didn't want to be Irvin Johnson. He likes being magic. And magic is smiling and taking pictures and tweeting other players and doing things like that. The role that probably was cut out for magic, and what's interesting is when Jeannie Buss made the decision to fire her brother and Mitch Kupchak, who was the general manager at that time, and take over control of the Lakers, there was a conversation with Kobe Bryant, and Kobe Bryant over dinner told her, hey, if you want to change this around and you want to bring in a player like LeBron, James, and I'm paraphrasing, but if you want to bring in someone like LeBron James or LeBron James, you're going to have to make a move with that front office. And she did. She brought in Rob Palenka and Magic Johnson. And Magic is the type of guy that can help facilitate a player of LeBron's stature coming to L.A. So all of that worked. That was fine with Magic. But it was everything else that came with the job that just didn't seem like he wanted it to be something. I don't know if the relationship was strained between him and Jeannie Buss, and that's why he was saying, like, enough of this. Let's just get back to you and me being, you know, like brother, sister, but it just didn't seem like he was cut out to make the hard decisions that uh, presidents of basketball teams need to make. For her part, she sent out a tweet, said, we love you, very cordial and everything. But I mean, she is in a tough spot now with restructuring the team now on that front, you know, who will be the next people to take these leadership positions there? And that's part of the issue of now that falls on the shoulders of Rob Palenka. And there had been some that thought that Magic and Rob Palenka didn't get along, that Magic wanted to move along without Palenka as the general manager. And the friction between those two maybe was a cause for Magic wanting to step aside as well. So there's that dynamic. And now with Palenka still being there. And I mentioned Luke Walton earlier. We don't know if he's going to be back coaching or not, but there was a, an ESPN report that said not only was Rob Palinka expected to stay on as general manager, but would likely assume some of the duties that Magic Johnson had as president of basketball operations. So the friction between Magic and Palinka that reportedly may have existed forced Magic out. And not only that, now Palinka could be getting more of the decision-making within the Lakers. So Magic is gone now. They have LeBron James. What else do the Lakers need to improve as a team? The obvious, and Magic even said it, that they need another star there. They need somebody in addition to, I guess, play the Robin to LeBron James's Batman. But you also need to be healthy. And I do think that the, the young players that were brought up at the Anthony Davis trade, rumors in, in February that could possibly be shipped out, whether it be Kyle Kuzma, Lonzo Ball, or Brandon Ingram, those guys have to get healthy. I mean, Lonzo Ball missed a good part of the, the end of the season, as did Brandon Ingram. If you can move those guys and you can still acquire Anthony Davis, 
then you've got the star next to LeBron, and maybe you're able to, to, to keep one of those players to help the Lakers' growth. Dan Beyer, managing editor at Fox Sports Radio, co-host of Fox Sports Sunday. Thank you very much for joining us. Thanks, Oscar. Kind of fitting. Magic disappears. And that's uh, the story of the Lakers this year. Thanks. Appreciate the time. That's it for today. Join us on social media at Daily Dive Pod on Twitter and Daily Dive Podcast on Facebook. Leave us a comment, give us a rating, and tell us the stories that you're interested in. Follow us on iHeartRadio or subscribe wherever you get your podcasts. The Daily Dive is produced by Miranda Moreno and engineered by Tony Sorrentino. I'm Oscar Ramirez, and this is your Daily Dive.